0: If it's your first week, you've joined us for a series called Better, and while the Word of God and Jesus give us eternal life and freedom from sin and shame, they also give us these incredibly practical principles that matter in our jobs and in our homes and in our finances, and if you've missed any of the last three weeks, I'd encourage you to check them out online. We've learned how to live with less stress, a better pace of life. We've learned how to be better at our careers and vocations. Today, I want to talk with you about being better at home, better in your home relationships. And if you're single, if you're retired, if you're a grandparent, if you're young married, if you're engaged, if you're a high school student, these principles are for you because these principles apply to all of our relationships. Uh, you see this wheel behind me of the domains of life, and we've learned that. We need to invite God into each of these domains. Um, God will work often in your life on one area, and then if you stay surrendered to him, he'll start working in the next area. And from the moment you trust in Jesus until God calls you home to heaven, the joy of the Christian life is that you get to keep growing. You get to see God keep improving you in all these real-life areas. Well, probably my favorite part of preparing for today's message was me and Mel sitting down and brainstorming some of our most epic fights in our marriage, because we all have them. And I think it's important for you guys to know, one, that it's normal, and two, that your pastor is really just a totally normal human. Like you, Uh, Mel and I have so many good fights that uh, I could tell you so many stories. And uh, thankfully, by putting Jesus first, our marriage isn't perfect, but 14 and a half years in, we're at a place where we can actually kind of laugh at our tendencies and our little ongoing disputes and even some of the big epic throwdowns. In our history, you'll get to that place too if you're not there yet. Well, this one took place right after Zoe was born, so this would have been about 10 years ago. And uh, here's Jack and Mel. We were living in Arizona at the time. Life was pretty busy. I had left my journalism career, I had published my first book. Our church was growing. We really needed to get a getaway because the kids were always up in the middle of the night. So we decided to drive over to San Diego. We rented a little vacation house. And uh, Jack was really into trains at this time. You can see he's that train age there. And uh, there's this train that goes up and down the California coast called the Coaster. It goes from San Diego to Oceanside. And I saw that one was coming in. I thought, hey, Jack would love it if we all got on the train. So we did. Here's a picture of Jack and Zoe. And like most epic family fights, it started off pretty good. You know, you can see some smiles there. And uh, the train got to the next stop, and uh, we thought, well, let's just get off here because really, you know, we're just riding the train for Jack. So we hop off, and Mel, in her wisdom, which I should never question, uh, said another another train pulls up right as we're getting off. She says, we should get on that other train and go right back. And I'm like, hey, I'm in vacation mode. It's California. The sun is shining. Let's, like, walk around a little bit. Because my experience with trains was really limited to, like, Uh, New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., where the trains come like every 15 or 30 minutes. So I just assumed that's how all trains operate. Mel's been around a little more than I have. She lived in the Ukraine for a while before uh, we met, and she was like, no, we should get on that train right now. I was like, I'm sure another one's coming. So we start walking, taking this great adventure, and we find that we're just in the middle of a suburb, It's just houses. And so we pull up on a phone, like, when does the next train come? Oh, it comes in three hours. So we're now with this stroller with the kids, one or two water bottles. The sun is starting to feel a little warmer. And we're just like walking through a neighborhood. We have nowhere to go. So I, like, scramble, try to make lemonade out of these lemons, and I find a restaurant. I'm like, oh, look, here's a restaurant. We'll just walk there. We'll eat a little food. The restaurant's, like, a, a mile and a half away. And, and you can imagine how Mel felt about this mile and a half walk that was unscheduled, and she didn't really have those shoes on. And uh, so we get to the restaurant, and we just have to sit there for, like, two hours until the next train's gonna come, and then we get on the next train, and... Um, Looking back through our photos, I actually documented this. You guys know this look? <laughs> this is a look on the train back. Yeah, and I totally deserved it. <laughs> Here's something I've noticed we get the most frustrated with the people we love the most, don't we? We all do, you know? Like, we'll be super kind and just wonderful to a stranger. Uh, or a neighbor, but then, man, that person we've committed our life to, like the gloves come off. Can anyone relate to that? Here's the question. <laughs> I love that. I heard, I heard some good, not only amens, but oh yeah, so it is so true, and I could go on with the different uh, fights that we've had and still have, but here's what we all want for, and the, the question we're asking, how can you experience the family that you really dream of? How can you experience the family that you long for? How can you experience the relationships, whether you're dating or engaged or married, or it's a parent-child relationship, or a grandparent-child relationship, or how about this, an in-law to son-in-law or daughter-in-law relationship? How can you experience the healthy relationships that you long for and I long for? I mean, universally, we long for these good relationships. Well, in this series, we've been finding answers to questions like this in the Word of God, and we've actually been kind of camping right at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Here's what God says in Genesis 2 about the family. Here's how it started. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils. So it's like God forms the body, but it's lifeless, and then God breathes. Did you know that our word spirit in Greek literally means breath? God breathes the breath of life. He puts the spirit into the man and the man animates and he comes to life. But then the man starts kind of working and he's tending the earth and there's no sin and there's no sickness and everything's perfect. But there's one problem. Look at verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man To be alone. Can I get an amen? Every mom, every wife knows more than us guys know it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, don't hear me wrong. We need some alone time. But if we get isolated, we start to have problems that we're not even aware of and we can't verbalize. That's just part of our condition as dudes. One of my favorite TV shows is called Alone. And people go and they survive in the wilderness alone. And if you watch a few episodes of that, what you'll realize is that the survival techniques are really not what's needed. People lose their minds. You can watch episode after episode these seasons when a person is totally alone. There's no camera crew, there's nothing else. They can build their shelter out of logs. They can be hunting deer and caribou. They've got plenty of food. And after about 40 days, they start to lose their mind. And you give them another month or two, and they tap out and they go home. Because it's not good for man to be alone. So God says, I'm going to make him this perfect complement. And look at verse 27 of chapter 1. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. You're made in the image of God, that you've got a free will, that you've got an eternal soul that will live somewhere, but also the fact that you're male or female, and the way that those complement each other and fit together and need each other and are interdependent, that's part of being made in the image of God. You know, God the Father exists with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in a family, the Trinity, It's one God in three persons, and think of it, even as God conveys to our smaller minds what it is for him to be one God in three persons, he uses family language. Look at verse 28 of chapter 1, then God blessed them. So God looks at Adam and Eve. They're perfect. There's no sin. There's no deceit. There's no corruption. They're perfect, and I just love this. God blesses them. Did you know that God blesses the family? This thing that you long for, to have these people who have your back and you're committed to them for life and they're committed to you, this messy thing for us in a world that now does have sin, God still blesses it. God loves weddings. God loves love. He loves romance. He's the God who created you to be in fulfilling relationship. He blesses the family. And then for Adam and Eve, he says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply, I want you to fill the earth, I want you to govern, I want you to reign. In other words, God wants to bless your family, God designed your family, and God's got good things that he wants to happen in and through your family. Chapter 2 verse 28 says this, now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You think, that's a weird verse. It's actually a really profound verse, because this verse is about three desires that you and I have, and every human being has. We want to be fully known, we want to be fully connected, and we want to be fully accepted. And in a God-shaped family, you get all three of those things. You're known, you're accepted, you're connected. Of course, the problem is that the very next chapter of Genesis, Satan's going to come in. He's going to deceive Adam and Eve. They're going to disobey God. They're going to invite sin into the world. And ever since that moment, not only are our bodies broken so that we die, not only is our planet broken, but our families are broken, broken by selfishness, broken by sin. Adam and Eve's own kids, one of them will get so angry that he kills the other one with a rock. I mean, the human nature is now broken. So we have all have this longing that God put in us, but we've all grown up in families that even if you love your family, and it's a really great family, it's got problems, doesn't it? All our families are broken, and some of our families are fundamentally broken. Some of our families are even toxic. So how do we get back to the ideal? How do we get back to fully connected, fully accepted? How do we get back there? Or To answer our original question, how do you experience the family relationships that you long for? Well, the answer is this, the God who built you, the God who designed you to long for that love, he designed you to be in a family, he's the one who can make your family healthy again. And I'm standing before you, me and Mel's marriage is just one example of thousands of marriages in our church family. Where if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have made it. And we wouldn't say today that it's perfect. But as we've put Jesus first, as we've done what he says, he said, oh, if I'm a husband, I'm supposed to do this according to the word of God. And I go and try to do it. And she says, I'm supposed to do that. And she goes and she does it. As we have done that, we have seen God redeem. That is, he rebuilds, he restores, he repairs. And broken patterns and habits from both of our families of origin, we've been able slowly to identify. And and, and hopefully for our kids, it'll be a little less broken. And then hopefully for their their kids as they follow Jesus, it'll be a little less broken. God can make your family healthier. Uh, I wonder in your family or your closest relationships, What's one point of pain that you would really want to see God work in? Uh, or maybe to frame it more positively, what's an area of opportunity that you want to see God work in? And maybe you've got a middle school or high school student, a child or grandchild, and you just want to see them form a healthy character and make good decisions. And maybe it's your marriage, that it's acceptable, but it's not great. I don't know what area it is, but I would just invite you right now to call out to God. and Let him know that you want to see him work in that area of your life. I'm not standing up here saying that the fixes are all easy or overnight. You just kind of flip one switch and everything turns to rainbows and strawberries. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if you'll put in the work, if you'll follow God's plan, you'll see him transform you. And you'll also see him transform the people around you. Well, when I was a pastor in Arizona and our little church was growing, one day a guy came in. His name was Victor. I got to know Victor because he and I are both car guys. And Victor is not just a car guy. He's a specialist. Uh, Victor only works on air-cooled Porsches. He doesn't just work on them. Victor is a master technician who restores them. And here's what's fascinating about Victor. He loves Porsches so much That instead of going to normal college, he went to Germany for his college years. He learned German and spent three years studying at the Porsche University. Yes, that's a thing. It's a good thing I didn't know when I was 18 or I would not be here today. (laughs) And so Victor's now one of a handful of guys in the nation where like he's in the top five that if some You know, person of resources finds an old barn find Porsche and it's dilapidated and they want the thing fully restored. Victor will do one or two of these a year. They'll arrive in a trailer to his workshop. He pushes them into the garage and he takes every single part off because he knows the original specifications. He knows the original design. Here's a picture of one of his customer's cars that his customer races in vintage racing. And what Victor will do is, I mean, literally every single part, every part comes off. There's times you walk into Victor's workshop and there's just a bunch of stuff. He's super organized. He's meticulous. He's a perfectionist. He's great at this. But you look at all those parts, you think, how is that a car? He takes every single part off and he restores every single part so that it is exactly like it was when it rolled off of the factory. In whatever year it did. Now did you know that God can do the same in your marriage. In yourself. And if you are in a marriage where like some functions of the marriage. Aren't working the way they're supposed to. Your best bet is to go to the original designer. And get with people who've read his instruction manual. And have spent years training. And ask them what do we do with this. And have the humility. To acknowledge that whether I'm the husband or the wife, the grandparent, the son, the daughter, there's parts of me that only God can fix, and I need God to fix those. And yeah, I'm praying that he fixes all the stuff in the other people around me, because they're a lot worse. Of course, we all feel that way. But if you'll invite him to really work in your family, you can see him do miracles. We love you, and we love your family. That's why we're having a family conference. It starts this Friday. If there's any way you can make it, it's just Friday evening, And then a few hours on Saturday, it's $15, and you guys, this speaker is so good. You're going to laugh, you might cry, you're going to feel more in love, you're going to feel recharged, revitalized, and you're going to get the tools that you need. So I cannot encourage you enough to join me and Mel, join our staff and our elders, and be here for this family conference. Uh, You heard Neil mention some of the sessions, that there are breakout sessions on marriage, breakout sessions on blended parenting. A breakout session on grandparenting. Here's one. There's a breakout session on uh, phones and our kids and students. How do we put proper healthy boundaries where they know the language of their generation, but they're, they're not going down some of these rabbit holes that are just destroying a lot of kids in our country right now? That weekend conference, it starts this Friday, then leads into our February series called These People Are Crazy <laughs> I love that title. Moving your family from out of control to out of this world. And if you're not married, if you're retired, if you're a student, you're still going to love this series because you're going to learn these universal principles. And by the way, especially if you're dating or engaged, you got to be at this stuff because me and Mel, we probably could have saved about seven years of agony in our marriage if we would have known some of this stuff before we got into it. My goodness. All right, well, today I'm going to give you uh, sort of a preview. You know, when you go to the movie theater and they show you the previews, I'm going to give you three previews of three areas of your life that God speaks about. And these, again, this is, you'll get a little taste here of how practical God's word is so that you can come back for the family conference and get a lot more. You can come back every weekend in February and get a lot more. But I guarantee you at least one of these three things is a real issue in your life. Would you like to fight about money? Less, probably. Would you like to diffuse your most explosive arguments? I'm guessing. How about would you like to get your kid or your grandkid to make better decisions. I want to show you today just how practical the Word of God is. And I'll uh, you know, preface this by saying there are hundreds of promises in Scripture about all three of these matters behind me. And so, like, literally, you could get your life application study Bible, and you could spend a year studying any one of these three. I'm going to give you just a tiny preview Into each of these three today, you'll get something you can use today, but hopefully you'll also get motivated and inspired to really prioritize the family conference and our upcoming weekend. So let's start with money fights. How can God help you have fewer fights about money? You know, sometimes there's this kind of false idea among Christians that like, well, that's not a very spiritual thing. But Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. Jesus talks about money a lot. He says, where your treasure goes, your heart goes. So this is incredibly spiritual. Also, you and your spouse learning to fight less. If you read the teachings of Jesus, that's incredibly spiritual. He cares about you and your spouse and that relationship. Uh, If you're memorizing chapters of the Bible, but you're neglecting your marriage, God would say you're not being very spiritual. These are spiritual things. Every domain of your life is a spiritual domain. Well, if you're having fights about money, I want you to know it's normal. It's one of the most common uh, areas uh, of disagreement in marriages. Not only that, we're living through a time where inflation has taken off, and so stuff is getting more expensive. So if you've got one person in your family who tends to shop for the groceries and the diapers and all that stuff, and another person who's not doing that, now's a time where probably that person's saying like, hey... We don't have enough. And the other person said, what do you mean we don't have enough? I'm working really hard. We're working really hard. And uh, a survey just came out. Look at this. Fewer than four in 10 Americans could pay a $1,000 surprise bill as far as cash in their savings account if they didn't have to use a credit card. So the transmission goes out on the car or there's a leak in the roof uh, or the iPhone breaks and it's going to cost $1,000 to fix it. Uh, four, it, fewer than 4 in 10. So think about that. 6 out of 10 don't have that $1,000 there. Uh, if that's you, we can help you get to that place where you've got at least a 1,000 and more in your personal savings account because God talks about this stuff. Listen to this. Proverbs 6, verse 7 says, go to the ant, not your relative, but the insect. Go to the ant and look at it. It stores away its food or its provision in the summer. You If you've ever been at a picnic and you see the little trail of ants carrying off the breadcrumbs together, what are they doing? They're putting it down in their vault so that in the winter they have food. And God essentially says this, whenever you have income, set some of it aside. That's a Bible principle. Here's another Bible principle, Proverbs 21 verse 20. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Now, please don't be offended by the word fools. The whole book of Proverbs uh, is built on the assumption that we either make wise choices or foolish choices, and we all make some foolish choices. And what God says is if you want to be wise, don't spend everything that you get. When you get a certain number of dollars, don't spend them all. And just like eating healthy and a lot of other things, we're all like, well, yeah, duh, John, if I spend less than I make, I won't be upside down financially. Our struggle is the willpower. And the patterns, and the routines, here's what I want to encourage you with. God can give you the self-control. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. He gives you a self-control. You might say, I'm not a really disciplined person. Well, the Holy Spirit has a discipline and self-control that you can call upon. You can spend less than you earn. And we can help you, because we've helped hundreds of families do this. Uh, depending on where you're at, you know, if there's a ton of debt that you want to get out of, if you just want to kind of have a financial makeover, I'd encourage you to take our Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University, you can visit cp.news to sign up. In the last four years here at Connection Point, this is a whole course, by the way. It's a few weeks long, and we've got an amazing family that has trained, uh, and they teach this as their ministry, and they're so good at it. Uh, Here's how good they are at it. In the last four years, just here at Connection Point, 463 people have gone through our Financial Peace University. You guys want to know how much credit card debt those 463 people have paid off? This is during the, the few months that they're in the course. They paid off $1,168,914 of credit card debt. Cause you, Yeah, yeah. I mean, praise God. That's awesome. Because you get in a group with other people and you say, we're all doing this together. And if you're married, you get on the same page with your spouse. That group has cut up. 454 credit cards. That's a Chevy big block, by the way. 454 credit cards. They've gone from being in debt. Listen to this. These families, in their personal bank accounts, they started the class with zero dollar, or you know, less than a thousand in their bank account, and a whole bunch of debt. These families now, together, have $294,000 in their own bank accounts, so that they can provide for their families and their futures. This comes from. Doing it God's way, applying God's principles. And where I just want to encourage you today, if you feel like our finances are hopeless, they're helpless, this is possible. You can do this. Uh, no matter what your income is, help is here to help you figure out how to live on that budget and to do so in a way that's responsible. Well, here's another opportunity for you. It's called our budget workshop. This would be great if, you, if you've never had a budget. Uh, Or if you've been through financial peace, but maybe it's been a while and things have gotten a little loose, or maybe you're at a place where it's like, well, we're overspending every single month. We're spending more than we're supposed to. The budget workshop, you sit down um, with some gifted people here in our church family, and you just go through, like, what is our budget? Are we on the same page about our budget? How much do we want to be setting aside for retirement? How much do we want to be spending on groceries and these other areas? You can sign up for that as well at cp.news. Both of those are free to you, by the way. There's some costs, but we cover that for you. Third thing I want to give you, just because it has helped me and Mel so much. uh, Mel and I had done those first two steps, and we had a budget. I've been a saver um, since college, so we've always been aggressive on setting aside and investing. But that's been a strain for Mel, because she goes out and gets the groceries and stuff. And so we had a season where almost every month we would decide, like, here's how much we're going to spend, and it would be more than that, and, like, every month it was tension. Uh, Some of you guys are there. You don't have to nod your head. But, like, every month, Mel would see me on a Saturday, like, get out the computer and all the files, my, like, nerdiness, and it would just be, like, the tension was so thick in our house because we just knew that every month either I would have overspent, or she would have overspent, and not like getting fancy stuff, just like doing the, the kid thing. They have, they're so expensive, right? And so I want to tell you guys about something that we got that has just changed our finances, and it's called the Chime Card. And here's what's great about the Chime Card. You, know, you decide from your paycheck or your pay period how much you want to put on the Chime Card. It automatically goes there. Once it gets to zero, it will not work. It's awesome. Because our problem was not coming up with the budget. Our problem was sticking to it. And we tried like four or five different debit card products, and here's what we learned. The banks all want us to spend too much. They want us to have credit card debt, or we get a debit card, so we won't. Then they want us to overdraft, and they'll lend us the money. We don't want you to lend the money. We don't want to spend that money. So what's great about the Chime card is like to the minute. If you buy coffee at a coffee shop, uh, there's an app with it, and it'll show you. And so you can watch all month long, and you can decide. For me and Mel, we've decided, here's the areas of things I'm going to buy in a month. Here's the things Mel's going to buy in a month. And we both know, and we just watch it as it goes to zero. Once it gets to zero, now we know. We'll be like five days away. It's like, all right, I got to make this half a tank gas. I got to make this last for five days because there ain't no other option. And it's a great tool if you want to get ahead financially. Well, visit cp.news on your phone for either financial peace or the budgeting workshop. Okay, again, these are previews, so I'm going to try to keep cruising along here, okay? Let's talk now. And by the way, just pause. If God's really, if finances is really the thing, I'm covering a lot of material today. so It's on you to just obey whatever the spirit of God reveals to you. Uh, Did you know that spiritual growth, it happens through two primary things, knowledge and obedience. But if you have knowledge without obedience, you won't grow. So that's where some people are like, well, John, why aren't we talking about Greek words and Hebrew words every week at church? Well, in my experience, having gone to seminary and have a lot of friends who have master's degrees and PhDs from seminary, I've seen if they stop obeying, they become really lopsided people. And so what God reveals to you, you grow, he'll give you knowledge, then you've got to obey. Believe, follow, trust, obey. So whatever God shows you today, do that. My job is to give you the knowledge, your job. Obey what God shows you. Okay, let's talk about your marriage. How can God help you diffuse your most explosive arguments? How can God help you diffuse your most explosive arguments? Proverbs 15 tells us that a gentle answer turns away or deflects anger or wrath. (laughs) I like wrath. That's a good word. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words make tempers flare up. So there's one principle. Now, you're going to need more principles than just that. Because you do still need to have healthy conflict with your spouse. Proverbs 22, verse three, a prudent person, that's the wise one, foresees danger and takes precautions. (laughs) I think we can all think of some times in our marriages where if we're prudent, we would foresee, like, "Mm, yeah, if I don't do those dishes and she gets home, I'm gonna just foresee danger and I'm gonna take precaution, right? A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton or the fool, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And here's what I want to encourage you guys with. There was a, a Christian marriage counselor that told this to me and Mel, and it has really helped us. And it's this, if you're in a marriage, you you probably don't realize it, but you have the same fight that is just on repeat. Uh, and a lot of us we're so in it, we get so emotionally engaged that we don't even realize it's the same fight over and over. You know, I did this. It made her feel insecure. When she feels insecure because of her family of origin, she does that. Then that sets me off. And then on the cycle goes. And part of being the prudent or the wise person is asking God for the wisdom to step outside of your marriage and look at it almost as an objective person and say, oh, that's the cycle that we're in. And then Mel and I are at this place now. And as I said, we still fight, but we'll be in the middle of one. And we'll be like, whoa, whoa, pause. We're doing it. Like we're doing our little cycle, and we'll be like, yeah, we are doing our cycle, and we can laugh at it now. That has taken years to get there, and we haven't gotten there by ourselves. We've needed outside help. Uh, Ephesians 5 says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Jesus love the church? He saw all her flaws, that's us. And he said, I will sacrifice myself to be in relationship with her. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're a dude and you're married, this is what you've signed up for, to sacrifice yourself in loving your spouse. Now, wives in the same way are called to lay down their own desires to love their husbands. You get two people who are committed to this and who will follow Jesus. And you can get through just about anything. It'll still be messy at times. It'll still be discouraging, but you get two people committed to this, and God can redeem anything in your marriage. Uh, Another little pro tip, I gave you the one about, you know, asking God to show you your one fight that is actually on repeat. It's just a different ignition point that started it or different names and faces, but it's actually the same fight over and over for probably your most toxic one. Another thing that has helped me and Mel a lot is just, Reaching the point in your marriage where you accept the quirks of your spouse. This is something if you hang out with those couples who've been married for like 50, 60 years, uh, they'll all say, eventually I got to the point where I realized like he's never going to put the toilet seat down or she's always going to sleep in or, you know, Uh, for me and Mel, it's little stuff like I was raised with my socks in the laundry to like fold them together so that they don't get lost. She was not. So it frustrates her because every time she has to go to the laundry, she has to unfold them. And you get these little like habits and routines that we all have. And Mel and I reached this point in our marriage, it was way too long in where we both realized like we're going to openly communicate about what frustrates us. We're going to ask each other to um, self-sacrifice, but we're also just going to acknowledge You know, Mel's a morning person and I'm a night owl. we're going to acknowledge some of these things that we wish we could change the other person, and it's just been so much better after you just say, you know what? That is a little bit of the way they are. It's a little quirky, and I'm going to accept it. It's a lifelong pursuit, and um, here's the big idea for marriage. Invite God to do what you cannot do for your family, because those two breakthroughs that I mentioned with me and Mel, realizing we have the same fight on repeat, and that we just have to accept some of each other's quirks. We didn't like one day go up to Mount Sinai and hear that from God directly. We heard that from other godly couples. We heard that from being with Christian marriage counselors. We heard that from being in our small group and just being around other people. And they've spoken those insights into us. And God has helped us in ways that we couldn't help ourselves, to take your marriage to the next level, you've got to look outside yourself. Uh, And knowing as a pastor that 99 out of 100 phone calls that we get for marriage counseling come from the wife, just say something to the dudes, okay? I know we think we can be alone. We think we can fix it. We think we can just make it, but we can't. Like you just trying harder at what you're already doing hasn't worked yet. So it's not going to work in the future. You trying harder is really good. But I think, you know, us guys, we're we're, sometimes relationships are weird for us. uh, And there's this thing that the Bible calls pride, which is like, I can do it. I don't need help. Um, And and I'm not like throwing men under the bus. All humans struggle with pride. But guys, if we're going to love our wives as Christ loves the church, We got to have the humility to acknowledge. I've learned this about pride in myself. I always have the sin of pride in my heart, even when I think I don't. Like it's just best if I assume that it's there. Pride meaning I can do it. I don't need anyone's help. I can fix it. Um, She says it's broken, but it's really not that bad. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, And so have the humility to say we're going to look to the people of God and the word of God and the spirit of God to do in our marriage what we can't do for ourselves. Uh, By the way, we have here in our church couples who've been trained in marriage mentoring. So this is a a formal training they've gone through to help you as a couple. So these are married couples who are a little further along. They've got a godly marriage, and they can help you. Uh, And uh, the Bible word for this is discipleship. They can disciple you in your marriage. And if you want to be part of that, guess how you do it? You go to cp.news. That's right. This is our one-stop shop, and uh, it's working really well. So it just helps you be able to take that next step. Those will fill up quickly, by the way, those marriage mentoring spots. So get on that if you want to do that in your marriage. Let's talk now about kids and grandkids. How can you help your child make better decisions in this crazy world? Reminder, we're covering a lot today. You obey what the Spirit of God puts on your heart. And then I hope you'll join me for the rest of this month. We'll be going deeper on all three of these Proverbs 22 verse 6 says this, direct your child onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. I like this translation of the verse. It says, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Training up is an intentional thing. I've learned this with puppies. When you get a puppy, if you train that dog diligently for the first six months, that dog will be trained for the rest of its life. If you cater to the dog and let it be spoiled and it barks whenever it wants and it kind of rules the house for those first six months, it's going to do that for the rest of its life. Uh, That's a principle. But here's the thing. Training is your calling if you're a parent. It's not an option. It's your calling. Uh, If you're a follower of Jesus, God's priorities for your life are love God and worship him. If you're married, love your spouse and invest in them. And then next is train your children. A training is an active thing. We've all seen good coaches in athletics. They're not like, hey, guys, show up whenever you want. You guys don't want to run drills today. No worries. If a coach is a good coach, they're training. Uh, And that's something that is, is missing presently. And I don't mean to sound like some old codger up here. But uh, we've got enough teachers in our church telling us, like, here's what kids in the community are like right now, and they're not complaining. Many parents, my generation and below, are simply not training their kids. The kids are just doing whatever they want. And here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we're not just training them to be able to you know, sit still or fold their hands or be productive members of society. We're training them to be honest and to have character and to be hard workers, and that all of that comes through a relationship with Jesus. So again, this whole month, including this weekend especially, we're going to go way into how do you do that? What does that look like? And I'm just going to give you two thoughts on it today. First, you have to limit their intake of certain things. Uh, there is so much research coming out about social media and, and the harm that it has on teenage And I'm not up here saying they should never be on any. I know there's teenagers in the room. Don't panic. Okay, don't panic, you guys. I'm just saying as a parent, there there should be some boundaries around your child and access to the internet. Of course, as they approach 18, those boundaries should adjust in such a way that they're going to be able to make good choices on their own. We've got a whole session on that this weekend at the family conference. But if you're not doing anything, if it's just like, here's a phone, it's got full access to the internet, use it whenever you're annoying me. You're you're not training your child. Actually, you are training them in a really bad way. Here's what I know. I recently got. I I never was into video games growing up. Don't judge me. I was just the youngest of four boys, so I was never allowed to play. I've never been good at video games. But I have a middle school son, and he's way into them. And so one of my things is like whatever he's into, I get into. So I'm into Godzilla. I'm into Pokemon, and I'm into some certain video games because he's into them. So. We now play side by side, and I know, I know all these words like cracked and other things. I know what they mean because I just play alongside of him. And here's the thing, I've gotten so addicted to some of these games. I mean, you, by the way, the human brain does not fully form until age 25, especially the decision making part of your brain does not fully form, and that's according to neurologists, not pastors, okay, till age 25. Here I am. I'm 39. My decision-making part of my brain is fully formed. I'm wired to be an achiever. I'm highly disciplined. I've never played video games in my life, and I'm like so addicted to this one game now that I'll have free time, and I'm like, ooh, should I like do my little to-do list or do the game? So that's me at 39 with like a fully formed whatever decision-making center. And if we expect a 12-year-old to just have the self-discipline on their own, they're not gonna like by biology. They're not good. It's not because they're bad people. So we just have to be intentional to train them. Now, let me give you one other tool, uh, probably the most important tool to train your children. It's this, train them in the Word of God. And I'm just going to give you one example of how you can do that. Uh, this is not like straight from heaven. This is just what's working in our house. Here's Jack's life application study Bible. So these life application Bibles that we give out, um, you know, seventh graders and up can, can understand if they just look at one verse. It's written at a level that they can understand. So what I've done with Jack, and this is not perfect, but uh, he reads a proverb every day. Because the proverbs are very simple. In fact, that's what we've heard so far in our message, right? The ant stores stuff away. Proverbs will tell you how to have good relationships, how to be honest, how to work hard. There's 31 proverbs. There's 30 or 31 days in most months. So Jack's little journal there to the left, every night before bed, he opens up. He just reads that one chapter. He has to pick his one favorite verse. He has to write it out. And then he'll write a prayer about that verse. Uh, Dear Lord, help me to work hard. Or my favorite from screening through his journal was, dear God, help me to not be a snitch. I love that. He's putting it in his own language. Now, you might ask, how do you get your 12-year-old to read the Bible every night? And the answer is very simply, I pay him to do it. (laughs) I absolutely do. And I have no shame in my game. He gets a... He gets a dollar a day, but he has—it has to be full month streaks at a time. If he misses a day in those 30 days, it's zero dollars. If he gets all 30 of them, it's $30. And amazingly, he does it every single night. Now, of course, God, you know, wants him doing it for the right motives, but it's the best investment of my life. I'm highly confident of that. Uh, it's going to be better than college tuition anything else. Why? Because the Word of God is what transforms our kids. And and here's the thing for your kids. Make sure you're connecting with them one-on-one. At our house, that's bedtime. That's when I connect with the girls, and it's when I connect with Jack. Some families can do it in the morning. We can't because I'm not a morning person. Some families can do it at dinner. Our dinner is way too frenetic. Everyone's talking over each other. I need that one-on-one time with each of them. A lot of nights, it's five to ten minutes. How's your heart? How are you doing? How was school? How are your friends? What are you worried about? And then for Jack, what was your proverb about? Connect with them every day. Get them reading the word of God, even if it's a simple few verses from Proverbs. And then here's the most important part. Pray that God transforms their heart. Because, you know, we could do everything perfectly. Raising a follower of Jesus is not about behavior modification. It's about heart modification. And so be getting them in the Word of God, be connecting with them, and then pray that God transforms their heart. So bedtime is a key time to connect around God's Word. That's working for us. Something else might work better for you. Uh, If you need a life application study Bible, go to our connection corner. We'll get you one today. Uh, If you need advice on this, uh, Pastor Neil, our campus pastor, or myself, we're happy to share. And also in your small group, we've got hundreds of godly families in this church that can tell you, Here's how we balance sports. Here's what we do with devices. And just like with your marriage, you kind of ask around and you learn from God's people. Uh, We've also got a great um, church library. That sounds like an old thing, but it's actually really modern. And we've got a lot of great devotionals. So like with my daughters, they're probably not quite at an age to read the proverb. So we got them this little devotional called Jesus Calling Kids Edition. It's just one little page. And it's like Jesus is talking to them. It's based on the Bible, but it's like he's talking to them. And it's hilarious because where Jack's journal will be one sentence, like God help me to not be a snitch, the girls' journals will be like longer, (laughs) much longer. And it's awesome. It's just great to see them connecting with God, but they're doing that because we're training them. They're not doing it casually or just because they woke up with the idea one day. So if you need a life application study Bible, Uh, Here it is behind me. You can text the word Bible to that number, 317-350-1996. We give out about $50,000 of those Bibles every year, and I love it. I can't wait to get to heaven and uh, answer to God for spending so much money on Bibles. It's going to be awesome. Now, quick word on Bibles. The Life Application Study Bible, we've chosen because in the back, there's all these study guides. So here's the word family. Uh, And and in your life application, you just go to the back, you look up family, and here's what I want to say as you're growing in Christ. uh, You've probably gotten something today on your finances or your marriage or your parenting. If you're like, no, John, I'm perfect at all those and I want to go even deeper. Okay, holy one, here's what you do. (laughs) Open up to family and you can do your own word study. And you can do this any series we're in. Um, You can always go deeper. Someone asked me this last week, you know, John, should the weekend service, should it be for like the really mature Christians or should it be for new believers and those people just becoming Christians? Uh, And I answered with so much confidence. You know what the answer is? Yes, it's both. And that's so clear in the New Testament. And anyone who makes you think it's an either or that either or is not from heaven. Okay. Okay. Jesus was all about reaching the lost and bringing them in, and he's all about discipling the reached, and we're all about both of those. We'll never be perfect at either of them, but we're all about both of them. Now, the thing is this. If you've been in church for a while and you're like, I could go deeper than Pastor John went this weekend, then do that. Do that in your small group. Do that in your own Bible study. Every week, we give you the small group study guide. We've given you the life application study Bible. You can go deeper if you want, but let me just give you a visual. I want you to think of the best Thanksgiving dinner there is. The most ideal one. And you know what it has? It's got grandma and grandpa at one end of the table, and at the other end, there's some babies in high chairs throwing mashed potatoes. And then there's a piano bench, and there's a few elementary age kids. That's a thriving family. If everyone around the table has to pause at the same time to take out their dentures, that family doesn't have a future, right? That's what our weekend is supposed to be. We're supposed to have spiritual infants sitting next to spiritual giants sitting next to spiritual elementary age kids, and we're all learning and obeying and growing in a healthy way and staying humble and being interdependent. So that's our invitation to you. Bring your family. Grow with us this weekend at the conference and all through February. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, I'm so grateful for a church family where Uh, Nearly every month we see 20 or 30 people baptized, spiritual infants, new believers. Lord, a church family where we've got retired pastors who know more than I do in our church, who humbly listen to my teaching. Lord, a, a Thanksgiving table where we've got all the generations together. God, for us to be in family, a spiritual family or our biological family, we need you. We need humility. We need love. We need self-control. We need all the fruits of your spirit. Kindness, gentleness, patience. We sure need forgiveness in our marriages. We sure need perseverance in our parenting. We need self-control in our finances. And God, you give us all these. Lord, I'm so excited for this month of February ahead of us. Because I just know that families, hundreds of families, thousands of families will be changed If they will open to you and say, God, you designed me for family, rebuild me, make our family what you want it to be. We love you, Lord, and we commit our families to you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that. And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.